With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey everybody, welcome to the Wizard and the Bruiser. I'm your squirrely fun wizard, Holden McNeely. And I'm your sniffly bruiser, Jake Young. Jake's sick, but you know what? Let's ignore that wholeheartedly and don't give him any of our sympathy. My head's full of disease. (laughs) We can't wait to bring you the new episode today, especially Jake. I just, I would love it if we could just stop recording it, if I could just lie on the floor. I just hope I can get as sick as he is right now because it seems fun. And today's episode is about... We're going to cry. Yeah, we're going to cry this episode. It's part two of the Muppets. Yay! Part two of the Muppets is such (laughs) a loaded. Why is it so much more? The second half of the Muppets legacy is so emotional. And then also full of these weird bombs at the same time. Um, Because it represents the ways that we lost our innocence as children and as a culture. Yes, indeed. Uh, just the lyrics of this song is mm-hmm. just such like a humanist, like beautiful concept. Mm-hmm. Where like literally, like you know, no, uh, uh, somebody thought of that and someone believed it. Look <laughs> how they've done so far. Like it's literally saying like most of this is bullshit. God is dead. We're just <laughs> fucking apes on this terrifying planet, but we're fucking beautiful. Original anyway. Originally titled God is Dead. It was changed last minute to Rainbow <laughs> Connection in the Muppet movie. Well, this is where we're at right here, right? Ladies and gentlemen, we're at the Jim end. Henson was in a tank of swamp water. <laughs> we're at for the- 5 days recording this dumb thing while an animatronic <laughs> frog banjo robot kept malfunctioning we are at the end of the 70s uh the muppet show is officially done after five seasons and jim henson and frank oz next decide to take their muppets into the uh avenue of the big screen with the muppet movie a 1979 musical road comedy if you haven't seen the muppet movie from 1979 like stop the recording, go listen, go watch the Muppet movie. You will have the best time ever. It's such a gem in in uh you know American film history. It's absolutely just wonderful. So full of heart, wonderful music. Directed by James Frawley, he started out as an actor before being hired to direct this uh, new series that just came out called 
The Monkees. Ended yeah. up doing uh, 40, uh, 58 episodes of that. He had a, he, This is kind of the interesting thing with this guy. Is like, okay, first of all, Henson and Frank Oz are in a situation where they are used to shooting for television, but now they have to try to bring their Muppets to the big screen, which really changes things a lot. It's like taking the Muppets outside in these big shots where they needed to show enti- full-bodied Muppets, which sounds creepy for some reason it's when I say It's literally the first time <laughs> anyone even attempted to do full-body hand puppets Mm-hmm. in a movie and uh along with that we have this james frawley director uh was the pr- only time um that oz and henson pulled in someone outside of the immediate muppet family to direct a muppet film and he has this long tv career uh uh cagney and Lacey ends up going on to direct smallville a bunch of, a bunch of different shows he he uh he directed but he never didn't really have a lot of experience directing for film so you kind of have this interesting sort of a lot of people really trying to like make a movie for the first time did you uh get a bit about how uh to get the funding they did test footage for uh, once again muppet benefactor lord lou grade Uh uh-huh yeah uh we don't have it queued up but like it is so heartwarming uh Lou was like, no, you can't have the Muppets like on a road trip. That means they're outside. The Muppets would look dumb outside. So Frank Oz and Jim Henson literally made like eight millimeter test footage of them just riffing in and around like farmland and cities and parks together. And it is some of the most naturally funny like improv comedy I've seen in quite some time. You can find it on YouTube. It's beautiful to watch. That's awesome. I mean, th- and this is the thing, and, and you're going to hear me say this time and time again, and I'm glad we're getting into this because I'm about to bring up our writers of the film. The comedy of the Muppets is, like, phenomenal. And and, and Jake and I both have been cramming Muppet films uh, over the past uh, few days. I know I, I watched um, some movies that are going to come up later, Great Muppet Caper, Muppets Take Manhattan. Uh, I've seen this one semi-recently, so this one was a little fresher in my mind, but this one really is the one. Uh, and then the reboots and everything. Um, and man, the writing is the, the comedy writing is so stellar. Like from a person who's been like writing comedy and studying comedy writing for so long, I forget just how damn funny the Muppet scripts are. They are so good and smart. And it is just like one liner after one liner. And, and it's funny too. Again, I know I brought this up in the last episode, but it's funny to be doing these episodes on the heels of Deadpool be uh, our Deadpool episode because again it's very similar in a weird way it's a lot of fourth wall breaking it's tons of fourth wall breaking yeah yeah like very Deadpool-y like tons of like self-referential about making movies about show business you know there's a scene in the great Muppet caper where like I remember uh it's supposed to be Kermit and Miss Piggy having a fight about the plot of the movie and then Kermit like breaks character and starts criticizing her acting and then they uh-huh. start fighting about like on set about so acting funny. and then they like make up on screen it's so it's like so perfect funny. it's so smart uh and so uh this this uh the muppet movie the 1979 muppet movie was written by jerry jewel and jack burns now if you heard our part one which would be weird if you went straight to part two but go back and maybe listen to part People one do it jerry jo- fucking perverts like that <laughs> jerry jewel um uh was a head writer for the muppet show and uh jack burns he has a really uh, l- uh long and uh 
storied comedy career. He has two different st- big stand-up partnership in his heyday, uh, or back when he was starting out. His first big stand-up comedy partnership was with a young George Carlin. Then he went on to work with Avery Schreiber, um, uh, and they met at Second City. So he was back at Second City in like the early, uh, you know, golden years. Um, went on to be a head writer as well of The Muppet Show, and another show that I was kind of obsessed with when I was a little kid, when I'd go to stay at my grandparents' house, and they'd always have it on, Hee Haw. Oh. And I would so do an episode on Hee Haw. I would love to go back and like look up the history of that show because it was it was like probably the first sketch comedy I ever watched along with The Muppets. Like I think that those were probably the earliest renditions of sketch comedy for me as a as a young kid growing up. That explains up. so much. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, the cameos in this film are crazy. We've got so many amazing stars, and it really it really sets the uh, stage for all of the Muppet films and how insanely cameo heavy every single one of them is. Um, you've got Dom DeLuise, James Coburn, Madeline Kahn, Milton Berle, Bob Hope, Richard Pryor, Steve Martin, Mel Brooks, Cloris Leachman, Orson Fucking Wells. It was it's insane, and like I you know. Uh, to see all these people, it seems like peop- it was really like everyone kind of clamored to be a part of it, that it was kind of a big to-do to say, hey, I was uh, a part of uh, something that it had to do with the Muppets, you know? Yeah. I think it was, like, super in. Um, so I was I was a little bummed out to see that um, apparently th- this is from – Austin Pendleton, who played Max, he said that the film was shot on a very unhappy set because Jim Frawley was very unhappy directing the, that movie. This is a quote from him. And I noticed that uh, that was the only time the Muppet people used an outside person to direct a Muppet movie. They never did that again. After that, it was either Jim Henson or Frank Oz, and I would have liked to have been in one of those because those sets were very harmonious. This was not. So well, that's kind of interesting. This is, uh, especially this, I mean, I guess all of the Muppet movies, but this trilogy of movie musicals, from the uh, 80s are incredibly, you know, half of the budget and half of the, like, the, the the power of it is setting up these near impossible practical puppet shots that, you know, have you know, people still don't know how, I mean, if they bothered to look it up, they'd know, but people still claim they have no idea how they got Kermit to ride the bicycle. To have Kermit ride a bicycle in a full body shot, a Kermit puppet with legs was posed onto the seat and his legs and arms were attached to the pedals and handlebars. <laughs> An overhead crane with a marionette system held the bicycle through strong strings invisible to the camera, guiding the bicycle forward. Before this, no film had a hand puppet act with its entire body appearing on screen. And a lot of it was, you know, they used remote control puppets, I think, kind of for the first time, at least for the Muppets. Um, uh, this is this is crazy. Uh, Megan, can you play uh, the clip from uh, my favorite song from the movie, uh, Moving Right Along? Mm-hmm. So this is the sequence where Kermit and Fozzie are in an old Studebaker, kind of like doing the road movie drive to Hollywood. I love this song. Oh, it's an incredible, like, again, kind of jaunty back and forth vaudeville while still being catchy. Just, mm-hmm. just a clip. Anyway, so in this sequence, you have two Muppets driving a car, and, you know, there's a lot of close-up shots, but there's also distant shots where you can see the Muppets behind the wheel, and the way they did this was there was a little person in the trunk of the Studebaker, remote piloting the car with a tiny CRT monitor judging where he's going. That's While crazy. Frank Oz and Jim Henson or other puppet performers are lying at the floor of the car operating the puppets, having no idea 
where they're going or how, wow. how the car is going. And the car crashed multiple times. <laughs> That's incredible. They're driving in a, in a circle there. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. And this song is so great. Moving right along. This is, again, if you need to be convinced anymore that this is like one of the best road movies ever, just listen to this song. And, and there's no way you, you can just go watch this fucking movie if you haven't seen this movie. I, I think I saw it for the first time since I was like a kid and, and have no memory. You know, from back in the day, I have no real memory of it. Like I saw it maybe a couple of years ago and was like, why have I not been watching this movie like every three years or so? Like this is the best. It's just got everything. It's got great music, great comedy writing, the the story. I mean, I love stories where they're getting the band back together. You know, then you fucking love the Muppets because yes. that is like so one that's of like the all two. it's about. I know, and that's why it's like I can't not be a sucker for it every single. Not time. only that, but it always mirrors uh, uh, Jim Henson's own career mm-hmm. because the key conflict in this thing is. Uh, you know, Dennis Hopper wants Kermit the Frog to do commercials mm-hmm. or to be in advertising for his restaurants. God, I'm sick. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the music was written by Kenneth Asher and Paul Williams. Asher is a jazz pianist and composer. He did keyboards, parts on John Lennon's Mind Games, also other Lennon albums like Walls and Bridges and Rock and Roll. He did arrangements for portions of Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell. Whoa. Yeah, dude. Uh, Williams uh, is a composer that has written songs such as Three Dog Nights, an old-fashioned love song, and David Bowie's Fill Your Heart. This is like a fucking killer songwriting team. Uh, Williams uh, was quoted to say, Jim Henson gave you more creative freedom than anybody I've ever worked with in my life. I said, you want to hear this, the songs as we're writing them? He said, no. He said, uh, I'll, I'll hear them in the studio. I know I'm going to love them. You just don't get that kind of freedom on a project these days. So... Uh, you know, it just sounds like it was this amazing thing. Obviously, Rainbow Connection moving right along. You've got um, so many, so many classics here. And uh, I believe it was n- what nominated, right? For it was nominated. Uh, Rainbow Connection was nominated for Best Song. It did not win. No. Uh, in fact, no Muppet movie would win any Academy Awards until the 2011 Muppets movie. The uh, end of the film is crazy, and we might actually hear a little bit of it later in the uh, episode. But. Um, the uh, closing reprise of Rainbow Connection featured a crowd of more than 250 Muppet characters. Virtually every Muppet that had ever been created at that point were used. They had to pull a bunch of puppeteers from the Los Angeles Guild of the Puppeteers of America. I think it was literally like every American puppeteer was pulled in for this one. Well, every, uh, they said every puppeteer west of the Rockies. Uh-huh. Uh, 150 of them. They were all crammed into a 6 foot deep 17 foot wide pit uh, and to do this scene i mean if you could only imagine like watch the ending scene you pull it up on youtube to get a good visual of it and just imagine all of the humans underneath that mass of puppets and what that shoot day must have been like that must have been completely insane it took a day <laughs> uh, according to legend uh john landis was in the crowd as well as a young tim burton really yeah that's amazing. It, it's think it's, about it, nerds. Yeah, puppet nerds. It's it's like an incredible spectacle to watch. It really is. It really is kind of this breathtaking finale to this phenomenal film that kept the Muppets alive and well, and and really launched their film career. So that we we didn't have to say see you later to them. I think if this movie was a bust, then the Muppets probably w- story would have maybe ended with uh, the Muppet Show until they like brought the Muppet Show back years later or something like that. But um, instead, this was a big smash hit. 
Um, it was it was uh, it did very well. Um, it did, it, yeah, it's uh, until 2011. It was the top grossing Muppet movie of all time. So after that, um, they decide let's not get an outside director for our next big picture. Uh, let's have uh, Jim Henson himself direct the next film entitled The Great Muppet Caper. Uh, the Muppets travel to London to stop a jewel heist. Uh, it's This it's, one's weird, man. I liked this one. It's charming. It's still really well done, but like they go to they go to London. I think part of it is because so much of their funding was from London was I from English. I believe, and I think this is so wonderful. And I would say watch it with this lens on that this is their big love letter to to Britain to, uh, because is it though I think so because because be- like okay okay no wait but hear me out hear me out so they go to London they're in the double decker cab they make a big deal about it there's this whole framing device where they're technically newspaper reporters but then they immediately like throw it out the window. <laughs> Uh, Gonzo's part of like now a trio because Gonzo got popular from the Muppet Show. Uh, they're like, here we are, we're in London, and then like they go to a hotel, and nobody's English in the hotel. It's all like the uh, jam band members from the Electric Teeth, and like Rizzo the Rat has a weird Brooklyn accent. Then like, okay, we're in London, and here's uh, uh what's her name, um, Diana Riggs, who played uh. She plays Lady Olena in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Olena Terrell, but she's young and pretty Yes, in yes. And she's like, hello, I'm British. I'm a British designer, but watch out for my brother. And then it's just Charles Grodin who does not put on a British accent. <laughs> like, there's, it's such this surreal half, because the Muppets are so quintessentially American. But that's what's the the weird part about their history is that America w- wasn't buying it, and it's they had true. to go to Britain in order to get over. Because if, if you know, we talked about this in the last episode. And if you're one of those sick individuals that listen to part twos before you listen to part one, oh, first they're of ju- all, they're just rubbing their pun shoes. right now. They they get right? off on the shame, right? It's just disgusting. But if you did listen to the first episode, like the majority of you people did. Uh, then you would know that they ABC they did a couple of sort of pilot specials. ABC wasn't buying it. They didn't feel like they could get uh puppets to be uh to get puppets over for like an adult audience. They ended up having to go to Britain to get the show made to put it on British television in order to then have it become popular enough for American television to syndicate it. So to me, I feel like this was their big their their big love letter to say, or, or at least big thank you card to say, we're gonna shoot our next movie in britain to say hey thank you so much for believing in us when when america didn't and now we're like america's sweethearts but really like they were born in uh their career was born in in britain which Mm. is the most bizarre thing ever i never knew that so i think it was such a cool statement or or move on their part to to film it there um and maybe they could just get it done cheap or whatever there but it did feel like they didn't have to do it and that they did it anyways you know I mean the the plot. What it feels like just a platform for good jokes and uh-huh. fun songs, which oh, is so although they do take a lot of song breaks. Yeah, uh, almost like some of it blurs together. Well, and we got to talk, of course, about the famous bike scene, which we you know talked about uh, Kermit on the bikes before, but this is like totally upping it to a huge degree. You've got Kermit and Piggy, and then like. The rest of the gang, at, at another point, all riding on these bikes to make this seem believable. They make figure eights. Like, they're doing... Like, it's cons- crazy. Even if you know how they did in the first movie, it's still insane what they end up doing. There's a lot... That's the... Uh, that's 
Uh, it's still insane what they what they end up doing because like in order to do this, they he Jim Henson had to pull out all the stops, animatronics, radio control, numerous shots from different vantage points. <clears throat> he also used marionette techniques, having used stringed versions of his characters over the years, dating back to commercials in the '60s. The puppets' feet on the pedals had to turn in time with the beat of the music, and both to uh, in time. Uh, with each other and travel at a realistic speed. It was like an incredibly produced, insane shoot day uh, or shoot week, probably. It, 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 uh, this is actually also, by the way, Brian Henson, Jim's teenage son, had a knack for this form of marionette puppetry, so he ended up uh, really getting close to his dad and, and really uh, uh, started his career that we'll hear more about as we go through these films um, with the Muppets uh, uh, when he joined the 110-member production team. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's just an insane, insane um, uh, situation. There were what three different types of platforms rigged to the crane. When Miss Piggy and Kermit rode side by side and then turned in two circles, the marionette marionettists worked on two circular platforms. As the bicycles went in their circles, the crane stopped moving and the momentum was carried on by the puppeteers who worked around the outside of the platforms. Once the puppeteers got back to their start position, the crane started up and the bicycles continued on a straight path. That's That's insane. insane. That's so complicated. That's so complicated. For no reason. It does not help the plot. It is not. It's just to be like, look how crazy we can get. Look how nuts we can get with this. And it really is impressive. More so when you know how insane it was to pull off. Because it really does look like, when you watch it without knowing any of that, it's just like, yeah, movie magic. They must have just used like a, you know, there's no green screen. There's none of that stuff. Like everything had to be completely practical. One of the most um, disquieting things about rewatching all this Muppet stuff is how, you know, as you grow up, like the movies you watch, like, you know, I watch Jurassic Park and I'm like, okay, that CG looks really bad now. Or like I'll watch an old horror movie and be like, oh, that's just a guy in a suit. But like no matter what, I can't see Kermit or Miss Piggy or any of the Muppets as just a guy's hand. I know, right? I like I like. It's they just I've net like they just exist in yeah. an alternate dimension and they're real. It's really wild. Like it, it, they pull it off better than anything. I was thinking about that exact thing uh, over the last couple nights of watching Muppet films, where I'm just like, I just fully buy this 100. percent And maybe it's just like it never being that way when I was a kid. So like maybe if I had seen Muppets for the first time as an adult, I'd be more aware. Maybe, but maybe. But like for me, yeah, I completely agree with you. Like. If you really try hard, you can kind of see the hand at play. If you're looking for it with Kermit, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> you can see. And then it's just more impressive because you're watching a ha- a single hand convey these really intricate facial expressions mm-hmm. that, that are, if you're looking for it, because I was looking for it like last night when I was watching, and you're like, man, that hand is acting like hard. <laughs> like, you know, like with Piggy or them, you know, they're, they're, the face is sort of already there or whatever, and you can manipulate, like, the mouth. But the hand in Kermit is, like, constantly manipulating the, the eyes, the nose, to, to create different facial expressions that convey emotions that must have taken hours upon hours of work in order to try to do that, right? Like, there's no easy way to do that. You just have to practice in front of a mirror for fucking, you know, put your 10,000 hours in. It's like how you intellectually know that, like, hand-drawn animation is just a series of still images moving quickly, but you can't see it. As, right. Like, for the persistence of vision just, like, makes them up. It's real to me. Um, 
Also, the Miss Piggy swim sequence. I was just about to bring it up. (laughs) Was fucking nightmare fuel for me when I was a kid because they. There's the, the why was it nightmare? Uh, specifically, the ending where like Miss Piggy rises from the uh-huh. pool with all the sparklers, uh-huh. and it's a person By in way, a Miss Piggy costume. Lexi laughed her ass off because like she literally comes out of a pool of water with sparklers. with <laughs> 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 sparklers. It makes no sense. The um the synchronized swimming sequence. <laughs> I feel bad because it's like a specific Golden Age film director's like personal brand to uh-huh. do these things. Uh huh. It's why they kept showing up in like. That's the other thing is I had no idea the references that all these the references movie, yeah, yeah. that these movies were making for sure. And yeah, that, it's funny for us they kind of first existed in in a Muppet screen, you know, viewing. Yeah. God, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's, sorry, we're watching a uh, video of it right now, and it's just so insane that they got little air hoses in Miss Piggy's nostrils. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like such a weird, clever twist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is so yeah yeah bubbles are coming out from her snout. Um, also, I'm gonna God, say this crazy. So many times in these Muppet movies, it's supposed to be like a funny joke that Miss Piggy thinks that she's like pretty, but like like Miss Piggy's cute. Mm-hmm. I'd take Miss Piggy home to meet my parents, mm-hmm. and they'd be like, "Who's that weird bald mustachioed guy underneath?" And I'd be like, <laughs> "You ignore Frank. I'm in love with Miss Piggy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's she's real charming. Yeah, look at this. This is with so Charles funny. Grodin and uh, Kermit dual his singing singing thing Amazing. right here. I think it was like maybe somebody else's, but his Charles Grodin is pretty great. And okay, movie. so then they're gonna do the dive, which this is what blew, this is what this is what threw me off as there. This when shot. Piggy jumps, why is this scary to you? Because her look. At at her her purpose it's so a guy amazing. it's a guy in a suit well now. that was the funny thing too did you notice um also yeah, yeah, that's yeah weird. that is yeah that's it's very weird. weird also the bike chase at the end it's clearly just like a person <laughs> riding a motorcycle and it's very weird <laughs> when it's supposed to be piggy on a motorcycle driving through the streets it's like very clearly a full-grown human um so yeah that swimming pool dance number uh jim henson said of it uh it's safe to say that no one else has ever done this uh sequence uh never done a sequence like this in any other film at least not with a pig it was a custom-made heating pool measuring 50 by 80 feet that had to be built on a soundstage frank oz uh s- said uh, uh for, in order for frank oz to do this he had to do three days of scuba training and he said of the situation i was underwater for a week which sounds horrible. <laughs> there was, it's, uh, Jim Henson had to be underwater for like five days for the uh, Rainbow Connection thing. It's, they're just create like, the story of all the effect shots in this movies are like, oh, we just made a human being infinitely uncomfortable. <laughs> right, right. It's really quite, I'm quite so wild. I'm so sorry about my voice. I can like feel You're the fine. fluid build up. You're doing great. So this film uh, did well as well, not as well as the first one. Uh, it was also really when Henson was going uh, 110%, uh, maybe to a fault, because it was directed back-to-back with Dark Crystal, mm. um, which was, you know, another big, the, the sci-fi. Uh, do you do you like, I didn't do a lot of work on Dark, uh, research, or any research on Dark Crystal, because I'm, uh, I'm focusing more on the Muppets here. I've never watched the whole way through. I watched a lot of clips of it. I watched a lot of making of stuff of it. And the fact of the matter is, is um, he put a ton of work into it because this was again he's always striving for more, uh-huh. um, and he wanted to push past his Sesame Street. It's very weird how much love I have for Sesame Street and how much Jim Henson sought to escape that gravity. Uh huh. Um, but like we, so it's 
the the core tension of the Muppets and Jim Henson's work is that he always wanted to push the boundaries of stuff to like make things like less safe, make things a little more dangerous and show that like there can be more to puppets than, uh, you know, safe children's entertainment. And then every time America is like, we love how pure and, and safe this is. <laughs> Why are you ruining this right. for us? Um, and so Dark Crystal is fucking terrifying. Yeah. And the Gelfling effects of, are, you know, it's starring these two elf wispy hippie creatures that right. don't look convincing. Right. Um, half the movie are just the Skeksis shrieking at each other. It's it's upsetting to look at. And yeah, it didn't it didn't do well. Um, you just remind me of one of my favorite things about the Muppets uh, that there's also there's actual animals in the movies as well. Yeah. So you've got humans, the Muppets, and then and then anytime they're interacting with like a real animal is hilarious and wonderful. To oh, me. Uh, Rolf and Snookums yeah. in, uh, <laughs> in Muppets Take Manhattan. Yeah, it's yeah. Like real good. Rolf and Snookums. Um, at one point, Gonzo has like a real chicken that he's like <laughs> working with, and it's hilarious. Uh, oh man! Oh, but it yeah. it bled uh, it bled Jim Henson dry um, mm-hmm. to work to work so hard because every one of those Skeksis puppets takes like three operators. Every one of the Gelflings takes three operators. He, you know, it's yeah. it's it's a ton of work. And then um, the follow up labyrinth was him trying to play by the rules of the critics and being like, okay, we made a fun family film and we added humans to it. And like, you know, this is this is what you wanted, right? And it got obliterated by It's a commercial e. failure. Uh, Brian Henson even said of it that it's the closest I've seen him to turning in on himself and getting quite depressed. It was uh, a real low point, which is an amazing because to me because that movie became such a cult classic and now it is like no one talks shit about Labyrinth. Like everybody like- Well, you know what it was? Uh, E.T. Again, mm. the fucking mind killer. Yeah. Oh, did it come out around the same time? It came out around the yeah. same time as E.T. and it just could not just get a foothold. Eclipsed everything. Before Labyrinth, though, was Muppets Take Manhattan. Now, Henson said of this uh, decision to have uh, none other than Frank Oz direct the picture. It was all mainly due to him getting worn out on The Great Muppet Caper and Dark Crystal. Henson said, I was looking at the year ahead and I thought my life was very busy and I thought maybe it was time to have Frank directing one of these. And it's uh, it's fantastic. Uh, we both watched it uh, very recently. Um, you've got another slew of great cameos. By the way, I didn't mention the cameos of Great Muppet Caper, namely John Cleese uh, oh, yeah. is in there, which great is great. Uh, Art Carney, Elliot Gould, John Landis, Liza Minnelli, Joan Rivers, Brooke Shields. Um, it also has a scene in it where um, Piggy and Kermit, our or um, uh, Piggy is imagining what it would have been like if they grew up together as little kids. Um, and so, uh, they, they had this flashback where they're all little babies. And, um, so the, that actually led to the Muppet Babies cartoon show, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. Um, this was written by Jay Tarsus and Tom, uh, Patchett, um, uh, and uh, Oz did a rewrite, finding the original to be a little too overly jokey. So that must have been really jokey. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is actually when like Marvel starts getting involved, which is really bizarre. And they ended up doing a lot of work with the Muppet Babies stuff. So I'm I not that's sure how, this how the timing works out, but Stan Lee, famous in the 80s, ended up working with Marvel Productions to do multimedia stuff. Mm. Um, Marvel Productions is the animation kind of wing. That made like stuff like Transformers and GI Joe and a lot of TV. Gotcha, stuff. yeah. So there is 
I didn't I couldn't find confirmation of it, but there very well could have been a meeting where Stanley and Jim Henson sat across from each other, not as twin titans who owned our collective unconsciousness, but instead as just two rich men in their 40s being like how do we get kids money <laughs> and they did this by adapting Muppets Take Manhattan into a uh, uh, into a comic book by Marvel Comics in 1984 by the way this was also I was like oh I was actually born by this point that's always scary which is insane to me that like all of this Muppet shit happened before I was even born and yet the Muppets are such a huge part of my childhood and the Muppet show was such a huge part of my childhood it's uh, kind of crazy a big part of like growing up in the 90s is uh, not realizing how much of the stuff you liked was just on loan from the 80s. Uh huh. And totally. I feel like that's what fueled a lot of kind of our modern nostalgia boom is the fact that there are just so many people actively engaged with just this chunk of content from the mid 80s. <laughs> right, right. It's kind of wild. Uh, it's kind of wild. And and because I, I don't know what it was running on. Like it must have been. Was it running on Nick at any point? Like a... Like, uh, of or Nickelodeon's like classic like what what was Muppet Show when I saw Muppet Show was it just ABC rerunning it I or? think it was running on like Nickelodeon and Disney Channel and all the yeah it, okay it, or just VHS tapes yeah true uh, the, well, I remember I remember catching it on TV fairly regularly and it was definitely like the old Muppet Show you know um, but anyways. Uh, so, uh, all of that done, that is the, that is the original Muppet trilogy, I believe it's kind of, like, considered that, um, after that comes Labyrinth, which we talked about, and then Fraggle Rock, which ran on, on HBO in the early 80s, now, I would definitely watch the fuck out of Fraggle Rock, because that was, like, actually coming out during my time, um, of, in childhood, Henson wanted to make a high-energy, raucous musical romp, it's uh, a lot of silliness, it's wonderful, uh, it's a, it's got a human wraparound segments. This is really interesting. So I, at the beginning and end, I believe of each show, right there, there's like a, uh, what is his name? He's, uh, Oh, the grandpa or the, the inventor named doc and his dog sprocket. You always start there. And then what the fraggles are like under the ground or what is it again? They're, <laughs> I didn't do a lot of revisiting. Me neither. Fraggle Cause Rock. again, I'm focusing more on Muppets, you know, Fraggle rocks, Muppets fucker. It is technically, I They're guess. They're fucking Muppets. I mean, Ker- you know, Kermitless Muppets is no Muppets to me, Jake. I mean, they're not the Disney now owned Muppets, <laughs> but they're fu- the, uh, they're within the Muppets cinematic universe. They're, How does that okay. work? That uh, works. I never liked the aesthetics of Fraggle Rock because mm. uh, now, as an adult, I appreciate how they handled like the different size tiers and perspectives that's immensely clever yeah and a really important lesson for kids to internalize there were a lot of like environmental lessons and things like that 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 were sort of uh, subtle and cool that things are interconnected things on one level can affect uh things on different on levels above and below it Mm -hmm. and that the key to like real like sustainable peace is to understand other people's perspectives but aesthetically, it was like, here's the dank rock zone. Yeah. Here's the boring construction zone. Right, right. And then here's like the um, weird Louisiana shack people zone. <laughs> and like all three of them were not visually appealing to me. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was, totally. It, it all had like a weird energy. And then the big garbage heap or what was stack of leaves or whatever. I like that. The heap or yeah, the yeah. The heap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was on the Bayou fucking inbred family zone. The giant... <laughs> I was I like it was a weird show. It was a weird show. And I definitely watched it for uh, I definitely watched a lot of it. Um <coughs> it was interesting because 
depending on the time of year, um, or I mean, depending on the part of the world, was what kind of wraparound uh, people you got. So the Doc and the Dog Sprocket were in America, Australia, New Zealand, the Netherlands, and some other places. The British version, it was like a lighthouse keeper and a sailor. In Germany, they had an inventor named Doc. In France, they had a baker and his and his dog. It was like really weird. So depending on where you saw it, but I think the whole idea was that Henson was really trying to make a good effort to – translate this show to different parts of the world and like tailor make it to for different parts of the world so that you weren't just getting like an immediate translation of the show the uh the story i hear a lot when discussing fraggle rock is jim henson literally like approached his producers and said hey let's make a show that will end all war okay because it it was good did it work unfortunately (laughs) no also, the world didn't change just because I believed enough. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do – who wants to talk about babies? Uh, Muppet babies. Muppet they make, babies. When the world looks kind of weird and you wish that you weren't there. Just close your eyes and make believe and you can be anywhere. Muppet, 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 baby. I don't remember this part of the song. Muppet Babies. Muppet Babies runs from September 15th, 1984 to November 2nd, 1991 on CBS. I watched the piss and balls out of it. Yes. It was produced by the Jim Henson Company and Marvel <laughs> Productions. Um, the part that I forgot about this show that, that was- There's a main character named Skeeter? No. Skeeter. No. Skeeter. No, it was be- it was that they had like real when they went into their fantasies, they would use like actual footage from mm-hmm. like real movies. Like, yeah, it was from very, like George very, Lucas and like Spielberg. Cool. Kind of awesome. They used like Star Wars footage and shit. That's great. I completely forgot about that element of it. I remember like watching that shit like with chicken pox, watching mm-hmm. that shit like just all like on the Saturday morning. I remember I definitely um Liked it at first, I believe, but kind of was like, ugh, no, it's the Muppet Babies block. And they would always do it for like an hour, yeah. you know? Now, but Jake, you went in, before we went into this episode, you were like, no, it's a great show. And I was like, wait, really? What do you mean? So how do you, how so do you mean? Um, it was a nice compromise where what, with what Jim Henson had kind of like fought against his entire life where, you know. It was cheap and merchandisey and commercialized. And on Saturday, like the whole point of Sesame Street, it was it was supposed to be a cure for the raw commercialism of Saturday morning cartoons. And like this was his attempt to kind of just like get into that zone and kind of reel it back. So like there were tons of merchandise, you know, it was it was a goofy, cheap animated show. But they still tried to teach lessons about like fairness and techno and like education and all this stuff. Uh, there was an episode about like computer technology that was like genuinely taught me about like how the Atari Amiga worked, <laughs> like <laughs> Commodore Amiga. I forget. No, I think you got it. Anyway, um, and the way that the different characters all had their individual game and stuck to it was like it was pretty nice. And like Nanny, come on, man, Nanny. Yeah. Well, that was you know, and they did the whole uh, peanuts thing where you never actually saw Nanny. Yeah. 
and all that good stuff. Um, it was also uh, it, it is also the show that we can thank for uh, the big uh, trend of relaunching popular cartoon characters as younger versions of themselves, like Tiny Toon Adventures, a pub named Scooby Doo, Tom and Jerry Kids, and all the many other. Don't ones. you ever speak ill of Tom and Jerry Kids? I loved Tiny Toon Adventures, so I am yeah. actually grateful to Muppet Babies for that. Um, but I do remember Muppet. Oh, Babies. also Yo Yogi. <laughs> <laughs> Yo Yogi was shit. I remember Muppet Babies. There was definitely a turn with me and Muppet Babies when I was kind of like, I'm too old for this shit. I mean, it literally has the word babies in the title. Marvel hired two companies, the Japanese-based Toei an- Animation. Did I say that right? Yeah, uh, you know, oh, Toei Animation in the uh, 80s? Uh, yeah, for so seasons I wonder, one through three. I wonder if uh, Hayao Miyazaki was uh, doing some frames in there. Potentially, dude. Potentially. and Because uh, that's definitely a big crossover. Five episodes of season four. They they, they got the uh, Korean-based ACOM productions for episode six of season four through season seven. Uh, and yeah, at one point it was called Muppets, Babies, and Monsters because they were trying to also launch this show called Little Muppet Monsters. Um, where it was like um, a half an hour uh, sort of like Muppets, a new trio of live action Muppet monster kids working from a basement doing like, yeah, I I had to like look way into it because I saw that and I was like, what? Well, it only aired for like three episodes, but it was like them trying to create their own television station, (laughs) which broadcasts only to the TV sets in the house upstairs. It was like, it was just kind of like as if uh, Muppets got like a cable access show in the in their basement, like a bunch of Muppet kids, you know. Um, yeah, but anyways, uh, it took so long for Marvel to deliver those episodes, and the Muppet Babies reruns were just doing so well that they were like, "Let's just make it an hour of Muppet Babies." Can we just please, for the love of God, just have Muppet Babies for an hour? It was voted the top cartoon of the childhood days. Uh, oh, I love this ridiculous fact on Wikipedia. Muppet Babies was voted top cartoon of the childhood days by the Irvin Hall Newspaper's weekly review of the Pennsylvania State University in 2007. Here's a quick question. <laughs> Why did you bother to repeat that? <laughs> that it was nothing. So ridiculous. That nothing nugget. Because <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Let me just repeat that. Muppet Babies was voted top cartoon of the childhood days. I think somebody like wrote this as a joke. By the Irvin Hall Newspaper's weekly review of the Pennsylvania State University in 2007. That makes no. That doesn't even. Make why didn't you just? Why did you sense. take the time to write that down and copy it? Because instead of just read farting into the microphone, <laughs> sometimes you read something. You're just like, wow. <laughs> and at this time, Jim Henson dies. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. I just. It's been so. It's this is the sad part of the episode. So if you're having a hard time in the episode, I will say before he passes away. Uh, Disney attempts to acquire uh, the Muppets. Specifically because uh, Jim Henson had a working relationship with Michael Eisner Mm. back at when he was working for ABC. And uh, it was through Michael Eisner that those initial Muppet uh, pilots got made. And so there was the idea that like, okay, here's this guy who understands like what I need the Muppets to do and will like take care of the business end of things. While I, Jim Henson, am free to open and explore and do the stuff I want to do. Um, it also should be noted that like at around this time, the Muppet movies had not outperformed the initial one. Yeah, yeah. Each one kind of performed a little worse than the last, uh, for sure. And and it definitely sounded like he was kind of getting burnt out. One thing I love about the story of the Disney 
attempted Disney acquisition here in the uh, early 90s, late 80s, is that Henson wouldn't budge on... They wanted Sesame Street as well. Mm-hmm. And Henson wouldn't budge on it. And I'm pretty sure that Henson wouldn't budge on it because he wanted to keep it uh, with uh, public yeah. broadcasting. He wanted to keep it pure. He wanted to keep it so that, you know, it, it wasn't super monetized and it was like this pure... Th- I, I don't know if I that's... can't think of anything more evil than giving... Sesame Street to 90s Disney especially Uh now that like Disney owns not only like Disney but Marvel and Star Wars and everything else like yeah no the 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 mob like uh Big Bird is for the is for the public good yes Big Bird is for the public good exactly so, uh, but what one thing that did come out of this is actually something I went to, and I don't know, maybe you everybody did went to it. It's Muppet everyone's Vi- favorite. Muppet Vision 3D. Muppet Vision 3D is so good, and it was directed by Jim Henson. Um, it was while they were in negotiations, the Imagineers at Walt Disney ended up just immediately working on a Muppet themed attraction uh, or multiple Muppet themed attractions, and this was the one thing that came out of it. Muppet Vision 3D that had a 4D effect. And I remember that so it was so awesome about it. It had bubbles and smoke, animatronics, and even a live performance. Former, um, it was so. So you you went to it as well. It was I saw so it good. Every time we went to Disney World, I would insist that we visit it. Um, I got into a fight with my girlfriend Marie recently when I insisted that Waldo see graphic the incredibly dated 3D CGI character they introduced in Muppet <laughs> Vision 3D is cool. <laughs> she insisted is a distracting anachronism from a bullshit era. You know, Jake and I just have very different kinds of fights with our ladies, I feel like, than a lot of people do in the common day. Oh, what? Do you, like, worry about bills or, like, family? No. No. We get into knuckle-down dragon fights over Waldo Seagraph. And I really need to get a silenced buttons on my fight stick because it's keeping (laughs) Lexi awake and upsetting her. Um but uh, during the production of this film, Henson dies in 1990. This um, is very uncomfortable for someone actively suffering from a cold to <laughs> describe Jim Henson's death right now. Henson is traveling a lot. He begins to show flu-like symptoms. His last appearance uh, with, was with Kermit on Arsenio Hall. Um, at one point, he's rushed to the hospital after tr- having trouble breathing. He's coughing up blood. He's got abscesses in his lungs. But he puts off going to the hospital, and and just just I just want to throw it out there, like, please go to the hospital if you're if you're having issues. You're not putting anybody out. You're not bothering anybody. It's what they're there for. Fucking go to the hospital. You'll figure it out later if it, if you're worried about money. Like you're having problems, especially if you're coughing up blood. Like this is so tragic and sad. Um, so, you know, some people. Uh, so it's kind of been back and forth about whether his Christian science upbringing had anything to do with his uh, delay in going to the hospital. But by all accounts, it did not. It was just that he's busy he's and stuff combination of being busy and not wanting to like upset or like bother anybody or anything with his issues um, is why he, he delayed it so much. So he dies May 16th at 1:21 a.m. He was only 53 years old. The uh, cause of death was technically toxic shock from uh, streptococcus. Which yeah, is incredi- I didn't even write that down because I was a, like, I can't even say that word. It's literally like the doctors at the time say it was a matter of getting a penicillin shot in him like two hours <sighs> yeah. earlier. It's it's just it was so preventable, so so upsetting. Um, and so obviously it was a shock to all the people in his life. Um, he uh, 
him and uh, Jane Henson were in the middle Jake, of a separation. This is be so <laughs> difficult, Jake. I don't want to uh, do this. <laughs> him and Jane Henson were having marital troubles and were in the middle of a separation. And in his apartment, she was the first person he called in. Like he kind of knew the end was near. Uh, it was. It just happened incredibly quickly. There was a public memorial service that was conducted in the New York City, uh, in New York City at the Cathedral of Saint John the Divine. Uh, there was another one at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Uh, again, kind of another nod to uh, how important London and Britain was to the Muppets and to Henson. Um, and according to Henson's letters, no one in attendance was to wear black, and the Dirty Dozen Brass Band finished the service by performing When the Saints Go Marching In. Uh, Harry Belafonte sang Turn the World Around, a song he had debuted on The Muppet Show, as each member of the congregation waved with a puppet performer's rod, an individual brightly colored foam butterfly. Um, there were another another moment we're not going to play is, um, uh, who is it? It's Frank Oz, Dave Goals, Kevin Clash, Stephen Whitmore, uh, Richard Hunt, and Jerry Nelson singing Just One Person, but I highly recommend that you look that up. Um, uh, it begins with Richard Hunt singing alone as Scooter, and then they slowly add the puppets on, and it's like absolutely beautiful. Um, it was literally described by Life as an epic and almost unbearably moving event. <laughs> uh, I'm getting teary already. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's especially for like for kids. I think for a lot of kids, if you're lucky enough, it was like the first time like death kind of came into your life a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if you, if you are fortunate enough, so I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to play a clip, but I want to preface this with, uh, I haven't said these words in an episode of wisdom and bruise. I don't believe yet, but trigger warning. Yeah. Uh, this is a very upsetting thing and, um, it's also very beautiful and I literally like, it's one, it's literally like on YouTube in the comments, they said it the best. It was like, this is the saddest thing on YouTube. <laughs> And it's very true. Uh, I like haven't been able to get through it without crying without crying at least once. Um, uh, this is a video recording of a recording taken during Jim Henson's funeral. It's not copyrighted material, so we're going to play the whole thing without uh, talking during it or anything like that. So uh, get ready, get get your bootstraps on, Jake. Do you got anything else to to say about this clip? Um, Carol Spinney, of course, Big Bird's. Uh, uh, the 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 man who controlled Big Bird and voice uh, voice and everything uh, just describe it's Big Bird walking through the funeral procession and singing the song uh, so here it is uh, and yeah. I think it could be nicer being red 
or yellow or gold or something much more colorful like that. It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. And people tend to pass you over because you're not standing out like flashy sparkles on the water or stars in the sky. But green is the color of spring. And green can be cool and friendly like. And green can be big like a mountain or tall as a tree or big as a sea. When green is all there is to be, it could make you wonder why. But why wonder? Why wonder? I am green, and it'll do fine. It's beautiful, and I think it's what I want to be. Thank you, Kermit. Are we all crying? <laughs> a little bit. Oh my god. Oh, I hate that. Some Muppet Christmas I hate Carol. That so much. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is it is the saddest thing on the internet. Um I highly recommend watching the performance because it's absolutely beautiful. Also, again, check out one person. It'll also make you cry. Um <sighs> But it's absolutely phenomenal, uh, that that performance. Um, and you can just hear Carol Spinney just, like, breaking up the whole time, you know, um, like, while singing it. Like, it's just so heartfelt. I'd rather watch Santa Claus get a cancer diagnosis. <laughs> God, that's fucking brutal. <laughs> I hate that so much. Um, so anyways, uh, how do you move forward, right? Um, it's kind of hard. Like, once... Henson passes away. It's it's almost shocking that the Muppets continue to have the career that they have. It's also shocking that we're even going to try to come back from that uh, uh, song that we just played. But um, they they do survive and they do move forward. And what a, what better way for them to move forward than for the next film in the um, in the Muppet Legacy to be directed by Henson's son Brian Henson, uh, co-produced by Disney. That's how much they are sort of like love. The whole, uh, you know, Henson uh, sort of legacy um, that they just want to be a part of it so bad. Um, they essentially had, essentially, it was oddly enough, Muppets Christmas Carol comes to us uh, actually from a, a talent agent named Bill Haber. He approached Brian Henson about it, convinced him to make it, and apparently had uh, had already sold it as a TV movie to ABC. Um Jerry Jewell ends up writing the script, and it ends up being so good, uh, at least in Disney's opinion, on paper, that Disney offers to purchase the script as a feature film as opposed to a TV movie, so it kind of gets a bump up. Um, they decided to put Dickens in it as the narrator and Gonzo as Dickens because he's straight up the least likely character <laughs> in The Muppets to play Charles Dickens, which I thought was a phenomenal choice. Another phenomenal choice was casting Michael Caine. Michael Caine! 
kills, kills it. it. And I love this quote from him. He said he uh, he he was hired on the role on the one condition that I'm going I'm I'm going to play this movie like I'm working. I'm sorry, you have to begin every <laughs> Michael Caine impression by saying the words "I'm Michael Caine." I'm Michael Caine. <laughs> which all you have to do is say the words "my cocaine." I think everyone knows that though. Uh, I'm Michael Caine. I'm going to play this movie like I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I will never wink. I will never do anything Muppety. I'm going to play Scrooge as if it's an utterly dramatic role that, and there are no mu- puppets around me, which is like the best. He's like, I'm going to fucking bring it to this fucking role. I don't give a shit. That's the only way I'm going to do this right. It's not going to be, you know, woo-hoo-hoo. it's going to be like, I am going to give it my everything. And he does. He's so damn phenomenal uh, in, in this part. And this movie is so great what a great way to like bring back the muppets again um when did this come out in the 90s right uh it just it's just awesome and we're coming up i mean i I don't know when you're listening to this recording but we're recording it around uh in the november month so we're coming up on christmas and i'm like legit excited to get the excuse to watch muppet christmas carol again it it, i I, at this point i watch it every year just a heads up uh if you're a friend a fan of jackie from round table gentleman and page seven it's like her favorite christmas movie ever and like we usually try to watch it with her once a year she like loves christmas carol so much how can you not? I mean, the 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 rats are hilarious in this movie. Um, it continues the uh, tradition in all these Muppet movies to have an incredibly uh, catchy opening song number. Uh, the the film's original score composed by Miles Goodman and songs written by Paul Williams. So mm-hmm. no wonder the music's so great in this movie. Paul Williams, who did Rainbow Connection and uh, all those great films in the first Muppet movie, comes back to write the music. And uh, it's just great. Um, uh, during filming, in order to allow for the Muppets and the human actors to be in the shot, floors had to be removed and reinserted with Michael Caine having to walk across <laughs> narrow planks between the Muppets and their uh, performers. Just imagine Michael Caine on a balance beam. Yeah. And it's very funny. Right? <laughs> um, so if you haven't seen Muppet Christmas Carol, I highly recommend it. Wow. Um, sorry. Just got – yeah, either way. All right. Uh, moving right along. Moving right, right along. along. <laughs> Uh, Muppets Treasure Island is the next to come out, directed by <laughs> Brian Henson again and co-produced by Disney. What? Uh, Muppet Treasure Island is I. I, I don't have, watch it again. I don't yeah. remember it very well. But I, Tim Curry's in it. Uh, Tim Curry just fucking out muppeting the Muppets <laughs> with his terrifying laughing face. <laughs> and uh, Megan, if you could uh, bring up the uh, Muppet Treasure Island roll call, <laughs> this is like one of my favorite dumb vaudeville jokes. Uh, you know which one this is, right? I'm not sure that I. Do. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. This yeah. is one of the ones I did. I wasn't able to cram in time. I kind of wanted to watch it. Yay! All right, cool. The best one minute of of Muppets. Oh my God, YouTube! Stop trying to think you can actually monetize this platform. It's never gonna <laughs> happen. Oh, Sam the Eagle, roll call of pirates. Here we go. Long John Silver. Aye, aye, sir! Short stack Stevens. Aye. One-eyed Jack. Aye. One-eyed P. Yeah. One-eyed Pike. Aye. Holly Lobster. <laughs> Mad Monty. Aye. Just a bunch Sweetums. of gross aye. pirate <laughs> Muppets. I love his old name, Tom. Aye, aye. Real old Tom. Aye. <laughs> Dead Tom. Aye, aye. <laughs> <laughs> it's a man waving a skeleton's hand. <laughs> Clovis Morgan? 
Big fat bug face baby eating O'Brien. Just best throwaway gag in all of movies. It's a beautiful woman. Big fat bug face baby eating O'Brien. It was co-written by Kirk R. Thatcher, who said there were a whole bunch of ideas out there, and I was most keen on Treasure Island and a King Arthur story with medieval dragons and knights. In the end, we all agreed that as a group that Treasure Island was a better story for the Muppets to take on. And uh, it did okay. Um, not great. And this is where we kind of get into a bit of a decline for the Muppets legacy. Now, I will say this. I wasn't able to find a whole lot on it. In fact, I had done all my research and then been like, wait, I distinctly remember there being a show that had a it was sort of like a weird kind of almost Rastafarian-ish Muppet named Clifford. Uh, it ran on ABC from March 8th to July 14th, 1996. So it obviously didn't have a long lifespan, but it was called Muppets Tonight. Mm-hmm. And I I remember my dad and I watching every episode of it and like really thinking it was really hilarious and uh, uh, really enjoying it and, and then being really bummed out when uh, it was uh, canceled. But I, I maybe looking back, maybe going back to it, it was no good. But I remember it was just like a new Muppet show. Um, it's just anything that's more than just a couple people and a one, two, three camera set is going to be expensive to make. Right. So like especially during that era where like. I'm sure at any given point they're like, okay, this multi-million dollar Rasta puppet late show parody costs a bunch of money. Uh, We're getting our asses kicked by, hold on, let me check the competition, Dick Swing Island. Yeah. (laughs) Where they just film a bunch of people swinging their dicks on an island. Right around that time. And then after that, Muppets from Space, directed by Tim Hill. Uh, who actually began as a storyboard artist. You ready for the crossover for Rocco's Modern Life and SpongeBob SquarePants, among Son other cartoons. Son of a cartoons. fucking bitch. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Shit my dick and call it Sally. It was the last Muppet feature film to have the involvement of Frank Oz, um, and I don't really remember Muppets in Space that well. Uh, I do remember it was kind of... It definitely was the movie that sort of... Nail in the coffin. Nail in the coffin, yeah, Muppet movie, for sure. I think shortly afterwards, the Disney Corporation formally, instead of working as a partnership, formally bought the Muppets characters. Yeah, that happened uh, uh, for $75 million on February 17th, 2004. Uh, this was back in, I think Muppets from Space was either 99 or 2000. In 2000, uh, Frank Oz described the film as uh, up to what it should not uh, up to what it should have been and not the movie that we wanted it to be. Oh, not up to what it should have been. Uh, and uh, Roger Ebert even said, maybe Muppets from Space is just not very good and they'll make a comeback. I hope so. Because I just don't seem to care much anymore, which is so sad. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, they end up uh, acquiring the Muppet property but they did a really good job of patiently waiting to bring them back and they and what a better way to do it I remember when this happened because this was like in the they 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 virally mar- like reintroduced the Muppets so smartly with Muppets Bohemian Rhapsody I remember everybody flipped out about that mm-hmm. it was like right in the early days I feel like of things going viral you know it was it was five million views at the end of the day it was a huge thing for them and it really I think probably proved to Disney that people were ready for the Muppets again they also did a cooking show web series called the Muppets Kitchen with Kat Cora which I didn't I don't really remember much of 
Um, but I don't really watch cooking shows, so that would probably probably make sense. So either way, they kind of hold the Muppets in the dark for a while, waiting for their great return. Um, and man, do they return in such style with such grace and power with the Muppets, 2011 Muppets. I'm probably going to get emotional all over again because like I watched this last night and like cried again and there's just like so much crying when it comes to the well, Muppets there was for a some reason. controversy. Um, how so? <laughs> uh, well, Jason Siegel was very hot at the moment, at the uh, time because of, uh, his involvement in how I met your mother, got to start in freaks and geeks, freaks and geeks and, uh, start in forgetting Sarah Marshall, which yeah. in which he performed a Dracula musical with straight up right. like Muppets pretty much. So he had the wind at his back. He had the love of puppets and he had a really good pitch. And, uh, what was, uh, happening behind the scenes though, is that Frank Oz was also pitching Disney oh, a big Muppet revival. I did not know this. And uh, Disney ended up going with Siegel's idea. Oh. And so a lot of the Muppet old guard kind of like behind the scenes were like releasing. That's, I remember um, this now. Releasing like kind of leaks to uh, Hollywood uh, rags saying like, oh, they're like tarnishing the legacy. Oh, this isn't. Which, Even while they were working on the project. Which Siegel, I remember, and because there's a really good uh, check out uh, Jason Siegel's interview on uh, Fresh Air with Cher- Terry Gross. I will uh, never. <laughs> How dare you? On the heels of of the Muppet movie, because it's so charming. I remember he re- he's such a like he comes off at least like a, such a heartfelt guy who really has such a deep love for the Muppets and the Muppet legacy. And he was so heartbroken when these when these people turned on him and got upset with him. He just he was like trying so hard to do justice to the franchise and he he super fucking did he knocked it out of the park and he really just seems like a guy who wears his heart in his sleeve who um really worked hard on this thing it was directed by james bobbin um who was a director and a writer on the ali g show also co-created flight of the concords and that's why we get uh flight of the concords brett mckenzie as musical supervisor who fucking kills it absolutely kills it the music in this movie aside from a couple of duds there's a couple songs I, I wasn't super into, the uh, Me Party, and even though yeah. Amy Adams is like so fucking charming in this movie. Uh, and she does great with the song, but I just don't think the song. I think that they great. just needed to give Amy Adams a song. Yeah, they needed. Yeah, they did, and they should have. Oh, they didn't do. She's so great. They she could have really Whatever. nailed she, something. She ended up in that other singing movie. And so then, it's like fine. right after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Enchanted. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, right after that is that awkward rap with the bad guy, which is kind of goofy and funny, yeah. but well, that's they cut that down. That was supposed to establish that uh, he physically can't laugh because and he was embarrassed right. by the Muppets, right? Because there's that running gag where every time he maniacal so, laugh, maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh, which I, it's so funny. And his his side, the bear is uh, yeah. so funny. That's Ed's favorite character. The bear is so hilarious. You in think this we one. work for the bad guys? <laughs> Life's it's a happy so song when you got someone by your side to sing. The along. songs are so good in this movie, um, especially uh, the uh, Academy Award winning Man or Muppet, uh, which we'll get a little clip of here. Siegel, and again, in that interview I just mentioned, Siegel literally says, this is, the gra- this is my favorite thing I have ever done in my life. <laughs> I'll never do anything better than this. <laughs> like, I this believe is him. It. This is high watermark. So let's get a clip from that. No, sweetheart. I don't know. He seems pretty happy. Yeah, good job. Am I a man or am I a Muppet? Am I a Muppet? If I'm a Muppet, then I'm a man. 
very manly Muppet. Very manly Muppet. Oh, it's so good. This this movie has such heart. It also it's like so lovely. It's it's like it's so on the nose, but it's also perfect that like the movie addresses like growing up and like uh-huh. letting go of childhood or when you know like holding on to the things you're passionate about do matter mm-hmm. and like all the and it even addresses uh like the feeling of loss and nostalgia and waywardness that millions of people have with the Muppets. It like it folded the reality of being a Muppets fan and having grown up mm-hmm. with this new uh, reality they're trying to establish. It's incre- It's an incredibly, it's a lot like how the Avengers is technically a movie about trying to film the Avengers. Cause it's like <laughs> 90% people being like, this is a crazy outdated idea that is too expensive and will never work. And then they make it work. Um, yeah. The, the, the songs are great. The jokes are good, and and it, they even I think it rivals the original Muppet movie for like best Muppet <laughs> movie. I think you know at the end of the day, probably the original uh, at, at box office mojo, it is the top grossing Muppet film. But the original Muppet movie, I think, squeaks it out in inflation adjusted dollars. So I bet, and and you know, and we even get Rainbow Connection uh, in the movie, and there's like no way not to cry watching that. It's so good. Um, it's just so beautiful. Like the whole film is such a love letter to the Muppets. And that's all we want. Like that's all the fans want because like, we just love it so much. Um, uh, there was Muppets most wanted. Yeah. Before that Disney releases Muppets, the green album with uh, a bunch of people covering Muppets. And that was part of the film's promotion. They promoted the Muppet reboot 2011 movie so well. Uh, you've got performances by okay. Go Weezer alkaline trio, my morning jacket and others. Um, check it out. It's on Spotify. It's kind of cool. Um, and then yes, Muppets most wanted directed by James Bobbin again, again, another reason why Jason Siegel is like, legit a fucking just dude with a heart in his sleeve for the Muppets. He actually walks away from this one. He feels that he did everything he wanted yeah. to do with that Muppet movie. It wasn't about the money. It's not about, you know, it was literally about someone really trying to bring him back, which I think is amazing. So he actually steps away from the film because uh, uh, he felt he was good to go with what he did. It's written by uh, both James Bobbin and Nicholas Stoller, starring Ricky Gervais, Ty Burrell, and Tina Fey. I'm going to have to watch it again really soon, actually, because uh, Lexi didn't see see that one. And uh, so she went to check it out. I enjoyed it. It's got Tony Bennett, Jermaine Clement, P. Diddy, Celine Dion, and, of course, in this is the cameo uh, extravaganza that is, especially after the success of the first yeah. movie, everyone wants a piece. We've got Lady Gaga, Zach Galifianakis, who was in the first one, uh, uh, Salma Hayek, Tom Hiddleston, and many, many others. Um, There's yeah. lots of jokes in there. It doesn't have, it doesn't deliver the same highs as the mm-hmm. Muppets. Re- it's fun reboot, though. But yeah. I enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, I'm down to watch it again with Lex. So <laughs> obviously, I didn't uh, d- dislike it. Um, Bobbin said it was a tip of the hat to the old school crime capers of the 60s, but featuring a frog, a pig, a bear, and a dog. No Panthers, even pink ones, along with the usual Muppety mix of mayhem music and laughs. So it was definitely like, oh, we made our The Muppets. Now let's make our Great Muppet Caper, <laughs> like pretty clearly. So There was also that uh, uh, that they made another late night show or primetime show the Muppets on TV. It was a, a single camera style, like the office or something yeah. like that about, you know, the everyday person, <clears throat> excuse me, the everyday personal and professional lives of the Muppets 
during uh, they production. They got dirty and everyone got mad again. Is that what it was? During production of Up Late with Miss Piggy, a fictional late night talk show starring Miss Piggy after uh, airing on ABC after Jimmy Kimmel Live. So, yeah, was that what it was? They just got too dirty? They got a little too dirty because now people latch on to the Muppets for like childhood innocence, even though. Right. You know, Jim Henson really wanted to push the boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was always kind of an adult <coughs> jam, you know, in a weird like it was weird... always an adult winking jam. Yeah. Yeah. That was the key is that if you were an adult and watching it, you'd be like, haha, I know what they're talking about. But like in this one, I think I, I might be paraphrasing, but I think it was just Scooter just yelling. I love to fuck. And Ralph <laughs> being like, oh, fuck, man, let's do drugs. <laughs> I remember that as well. Yeah. So unfortunately, that's where we uh, we end our story of the Muppets. Uh, there's just so many great things to choose from. Uh, this was like the most fun ep- uh, uh, episode or series of episodes to do, quote unquote, research on. I kept crying. I did keep crying, but I also like was never not in the mood to watch another Muppet movie like every night of the week. So like I will say there's something about the Muppets where like I really can't burn out on them, I don't think. I literally watched a Muppet movie like every other night and was like so excited to watch another one because it just want to live there. Also, I just wanted to say right now while we're recording on the record, Holden, if you take the uh, Somebody's Getting Married song from Muppets Take Manhattan for your wedding, <laughs> I will leap out of the crowd and pummel you. We're using We literally, we're definitely using you it. You fucker, no. <laughs> no, it's going to be my move. It's going to be the intro on a video, and you then we're going to walk no. in. Yeah, I'm sorry. How dare you? You're completely fucked. If we didn't record this episode, you wouldn't have done it. <laughs> so let's leave you with this uh, wonderful finale that we teased earlier in the episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Yoram, I hope we did your uh, Patreon pick uh justice um thank you again for for doing that and for supporting the show under a rainbow and this is them all in the pit in the pit Yep. Yeah, with the rainbow. Watch the Muppet movie. Both of them. And then all the other ones. And Sweetums! (laughs) Sweetums rips through the screen. Always respect Sweetums. All right. Thank you much, everybody, and have a good one. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 